You know, I, I love um, even just the traditional Easter, you know, traditions. You know, I love the, uh, the egg hunts and my kids enjoy that. I got four young kids and they enjoy the egg hunts and the Easter baskets. They woke up this morning and my wife had four Easter baskets, you know, on our counter. And they're just like, it was like Christmas morning, you know, a little bit, you know. And they get little t- toys or, you know, clothes or can- and candy and I just, I love the, the traditions. You know, the, it, around the world, there's some pretty interesting uh, Easter traditions. And in Greece, uh, there's a tradition in Greece where two churches uh, participate in this. And they've been doing this for over 125 years. What they do is they take fireworks, rockets, and they fire rockets, fireworks at each other. So you got one church, and then you got another church across the street. They've been doing this for over 125 years. They fire rockets at each other. Don't you think we should start that tradition around here? Let's do it. Let's do it. You know, Wald Lake Missionary Church and then Market Street Church just down the road. We'll just fire rockets over the city. What do you think? I think that, was, that would be a lot of fun. And, and you, it's, you, you, you see pictures, if you, go, if you Google this, you can go and, and see pictures of, of these rockets. And it represented some sort of war that happened on Easter morning uh, over 100 years ago. And, and uh, there's another uh, a tradition that happens around the world. Um, my wife, uh, I, I, I like to joke with her about this. Uh, my wife is part Hungarian, part Polish. And in Hungary and Poland, uh, they, do the, they have this tradition uh, where, you know, it's, it, it, you, you, it's kind of weird and almost nonsense. They take a, the men take a bucket of cold water and just throw it on the women. That's, I know, I, and I told my wife, I'm like, well, you're Hungarian and Polish, so I'm going to just sneak around one day on Easter day, and I'm just going to throw a bucket of cold water on you, and she said, you better not, I'll kill you, and you won't rise. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is like, these are things that are, there's lots of different interesting things that happen around the world with, you know, the Easter tradition, and, and uh, I just enjoy it. One of the interesting things about our faith in, in, in Christ and some of the traditions that we have in our faith in Christ and the things that we hold to as, as rational evidence, I call it that, rational evidence of a risen Jesus. And there's a couple, a couple people, Paul, uh, Paul uh, the Apostle Paul is an example of that. I mean, the Apostle Paul was a persecutor of the church of God. I mean, he was a self-proclaimed persecutor of the church of God. He hated Christians. I mean, if you're here and somebody dra- dragged you to church this morning because they told you, you know, that you would get a free breakfast or, you know, or they would buy you lunch afterwards. If you're here and you, you're not a really a big fan of Christians, you're in good company. Because the Apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, he hated Christians. They annoyed him. They were irritating to him. And I can sort of relate with that, too, a little bit. Can you? Christians are a little irritating sometimes. I understand that. The Apostle Paul, they, he, he just was annoyed. But then what happened to the Apostle Paul was he met Jesus. He saw Jesus alive. That's what changed everything for him. He was, he was, he was annoyed at Christianity because, you know, he, Paul was big in the, uh, you know, he's a Pharisee. He was, he was considered to be a Pharisee. He was a, you know, a, a very, very religious in, in, in Judaism and in, in, in his faith and in, in the Mosaic law. And he started recognizing, you know, after the claims that Jesus was alive and after the, uh, Jesus, the appearances of, that Jesus was alive, they started, he started recognizing that, that not just a few, but thousands of Jews 
were no longer coming to the synagogue or the temple on Saturday, but they were going to church and gathering in homes on Sunday. And that was irritating to the Apostle Paul. I mean, there was other things, you know, like they, they weren't holding to all of the Mosaic law anymore. They were, they were saying that, you know, that was, that was the old covenant, but now there's a new covenant with Jesus as, as our Lord and Savior, that he, he's alive, he's risen, and there's a new covenant of his, of his shed blood on the cross. And, 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 and they weren't following all of the laws that they were required to follow. And, and that was irritating to, to Paul. I mean, you can go on and on and on about, you know, you know, you could, you know, we can look at, you know, different, different, you know, processes of the Mosaic Law. I mean, they weren't offering sacrifices anymore. They would go to the temple, you know, to offer animal sacrifices as a way to say that these, this animal, that the sins of, of, of man, that the sins were passed off to this animal and that the sacrifice with this animal was the atonement for their sins. But they stopped showing up to the temple to offer sacrifices to animals. Why? Because they believed that Jesus was the one final sacrifice for all. That they said, you know what? He died for our sins. He is the Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the whole world. He died, according to Hebrews, one time and for all time. He died for everyone. We don't need to go to the temple anymore and to offer sacrifices of animals. He is the sacrifice for all of us. But death couldn't hold him down. He rose from the grave and Paul's going, all right, okay, I'm not in on this. I'm not going for this. I'm going to do everything I can to stop this until he saw Jesus for himself and it radically changed his life I mean I love the tradition of rational evidence of the resurrection of Jesus James the brother of Jesus now can you imagine this for a second you're James you grow up with Jesus you live in the same room as Jesus maybe they had bunk beds I don't know that Joseph built because he was a carpenter you know and they're sharing the same room sitting around the same table and Jesus is claiming that he's the son of God and he's claiming that he's going to be you know he's going to die but on the third day he's going to rise from the grave can you imagine if that's your brother saying that you're like you're nuts man and James and the family thought he was nuts they thought he was a lunatic. They thought he was a liar. They thought he was a legend in his own mind. Until James saw his brother alive. And he was no longer my half-brother. He was, he's the Lord of glory. That's what James referred to his brother. He's the Lord of of glory. He wasn't a liar, he wasn't a lunatic, and he wasn't a legend. He is Lord. For one reason and one reason only, it's because he beat death. He rose from the grave, and that's what we're celebrating here this morning. These are just some things. And and in non-biblical sources. Now this is this this is just rational thought around the resurrection. So if you're wondering about this Thing that we're talking about here today. This is rational thought. Non-biblical sources cited. I'm not just talking about from the word of God, you know, that you can think, we, you know, people like to pick apart sometimes. Non-biblical sources, those who were historians, wrote about, wrote about the death of Paul and the death of James and said they died for what they knew was true. You see, people, don't, people die every day for what they believe. That's not the reason why they died. They, they didn't die for what they believed. They died for what they saw. 
And they were in a position to know whether the resurrection was real or not, whether it was a hoax or, or true. They were in a position to know. You're telling me that the apostles came up to Paul, came up to James, Paul being a persecutor of Christians, nobody, no Christian even wanted to be around Paul because they didn't think that they would survive being in his presence. So being around Paul, you're telling me that the disciples of Jesus went to Paul, went to James, his brother, and said, hey, guys, listen, we're trying to make up this religion that Jesus died on the cross, but, that, but we stole his body, and he, we're just going to tell everybody that he rose from the grave. Do you think Paul and James would have gone along with that? No way. No way. But non-biblical sources tell us that James was martyred because of what he knew, because of what he saw. Paul was martyred not because of what he heard or what some disciples told him, but he died for what he saw. He saw a risen Jesus. The foundation of our faith is not built on a house of cards for somebody to come around and just flick it away and our whole faith crumbles. Our faith is founded on the solid, rock, rational teachings and, and witnessing of a risen Jesus. And nothing can knock that over. Nothing. Paul said it this way. He says in 1 Corinthians, by the way, 1 Corinthians was written, uh, evidence tells us, proves to us that 1 Corinthians was written within 20, 22 years after uh, the, the cross, after the crucifixion. So early, early writings, which is, by the way, another rational evidence of the, re of the proof of the resurrection of Jesus. That Corinthians was written at this time, somewhere around 20 years after uh, the, the resurrection of Jesus. And here's what Paul says. He says, if Christ, in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is in vain. So if Christ hasn't been raised, then I'm wasting my time, and so are you. If he didn't resurrect from the grave, you got up early, you came to the breakfast, you had, now that wasn't a waste of time, that was a good time spent, but you know, after the breakfast, after the French toast and the eggs and the sausage and the turkey sausage, thank you very much, that was delicious, after that, you should have just went home because it would, this would just be a waste of time, but no, 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 we believe that he rose from the grave, we know it based on evidence, and Paul, but Paul says, listen, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is in vain. He even takes it a step further. Here's what he says in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says this. Do we have that? Verse 17. No, 19. Do we have that one? No? Not 19? Okay. That's okay. I'll, he says, if we hoped, I'll, I'll just paraphrase it for you, if we've hoped in this life only, if we've hoped in this life only, there it is, 1 Corinthians, okay. If we have hoped in, in Christ in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. That's actually verse 19, right? Okay, cool, cool, all right. I'm not going crazy, okay. I might be a little bit, but that's not because of this. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, he says, we are all men most to be pitied. Like he's saying, listen, to be a Christian, to believe in a resurrected Jesus, if he didn't rise... If he didn't come out of the grave by the power of God, he says that in the, in, if we've hoped in Christ, 
in this life only, we should be pitied. Why? Because being a Christian is not easy, right? Being a Christian is challenging. Being a follower of Jesus has its, has its tough, you know, crosses that we have to bear. You know, Jesus said, if anybody comes after me, he must deny himself, he must take up his cross, and he must follow me. That's, that's, that's not easy to do, to, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him. And so he's saying, listen, if we've hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. But our hope, our hope isn't in this life only, right? Because that's the point of the resurrection. The point of the resurrection is to say, hey, you can have eternal life. Just like Jesus beat death, just like the grave couldn't hold Jesus down, he came up out of the grave, and those who put their faith in Jesus will also come up out of the grave and have eternal life. And your hope and my hope is not found in this life. If it is, we should be pitied. People should feel sorry for us. We should look like fools. But listen, our hope isn't in this life. Our hope is in another life. Our hope is in another kingdom. And when we leave this place, when we walk out of this place, we're going to step into a place called eternity. And it's going to be in an amazing place, a place that we can't even wrap our minds around, a place that we can't even understand, a place, but I know this for sure, a place where he is, where our Savior is, and he's going to welcome us with his open arms, and he's going to look at you, and he's going to look at me, and he's saying, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. Now step into my glory and know what it means to have eternal life forever where there is no more pain no more hurt no more sorrow no more grief no more addiction no more strongholds no more bondage no more pain all of these things that God's going to wipe away when we leave this life and walk into eternity where he is man if my life is based on this life only you should feel sorry for me but it's not my hope is in a better place isn't it church is your hope in a better place? I hope so. It's what gets us through this life. It's what allows us to continue to persevere and to be the kind of person that God wants us to be. It's what allows us to endure and be the kind of person that God, the way that God wants us to endure in this life. Why? Because of the resurrection, we have hope. And if there was no resurrection, we have no hope. There's a Vietnam Memorial Wall. It was built in 1982. On this Vietnam Memorial Wall are written of the names of the men and the women that fought in the Vietnam War. There's over 58,000 names written on this wall. Families would go and travel to, to see this Vietnam Memorial Wall and you can still go there today and you see the names etched on this ebony wall there and families would go and they would see and they would find their, their son or they would find their daughter, they would find their loved one written, their names written on that wall. There's three men that could go there at that wall. Their names are Robert Bedker, William Craig, and Daryl Lausch. These three men and their families could go to that wall and you know what they would find? They would find their very own names written on those wall, on that wall. Because of a data decoding error, they determined that these three men died in that conflict, but they really didn't die. These three men can go up to that wall and find their very names, and they would be declared dead, but really they were alive. 
That's a Christian, by the way. One day, you're going to be declared dead. One day, a doctor's going to walk into your room with your family around, and they're going to say, so-and-so is dead. But you know what the reality is for those who put their faith and their hope in Jesus? You're really alive. You've never been more alive than ever before. You will be declared dead one day on this earth. But in reality, you and I will be alive. Isn't that good news for every single one of us today? Luke 24, Luke is a doctor and he writes the account of the resurrection of Jesus. He says this, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. Now, this is women who have prepared uh, spices for the burial of Jesus after they, they brought, or brought Jesus down off the tomb. Now, if you know the accounts of the gospel, you'll, you'll know that two men did that work. Now, this is typical of women. The women knew that the men did the work in preparing the body of Jesus, but they realized they probably didn't do it right, and so we need to do it again. <laughs> There's no doubt in my mind that that's what's happening here. They're like, men did it. They didn't do it right. Women, let's go. Let's get it right. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. I do too. I, I need my, my wife. Listen, they, they, so they came and they prepared the body. Now, what's so... <laughs> Think about this for a second. Now, this is just more rational evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, if this was a folklore story, if this was a made-up fairy tale story, why would these guys write in the story that guys by the name of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who, by the way, this is according to their account, Joseph and Nicodemus were on the council... Of the people who condemned Jesus to death. They were on the council that said, crucify this man. They were the ones, two of these guys on the council that said, crucify this man, were the ones who took the body of Jesus down off the cross. Evidence shows that Joseph was a rich man, and he was probably the one who bought the tomb for Jesus to lay in, and they placed his body prepared it with spices, wrapped it in grave clothes, and put his body into the tomb. Now, this is the account of the gospel. You know what it would be like? It would be like this, somebody writing this story. It would be like, any Star Wars fans in here at all? Is there any Star Wars? Okay. It would be like if Luke Skywalker died, and two members of the Galactic Empire are the ones that bury Luke. And none of his other friends are there. These guys right there. I've, I've just tapped into a few nerds in the room with myself. It's all good. You guys are cool in my book, that's for sure. It would be like those two guys right there that would be the ones that buried Luke. Now, would that make for a good story? No. No. The fact that the hero died? No. The fact that these guys are part of the galactic empire? They were the ones that... No. This is the story. Where were the disciples? Gone. Here's here's one of the things that, for me, where was Jesus' mom? Where was his mother? 
I mean, I don't care what I do. My mom's there. You know, like my mom loves me. I don't care where I do, what I claim to be. If I claim to be the son of God and I told my mom that I was going to die and then rise from the grave, my mom would be there. But not Jesus' mother. She wasn't there. So the story goes in verse 2 of Luke 24, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Nobody expected nobody. <laughs> that good? Nobody expected nobody. They walked into the tomb. Now, look at this says in verse 4. Verse 4, Luke 24. While they were perplexed about this, why? Because nobody expected nobody. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. Now, this is where, if you're a little bit skeptical about Christianity and the Bible, this is sort of where you sort of check out a little bit because you're like, two men wearing dazzling clothing, are they from the 70s or what is this about, you know, like, no, 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 these were angels and you're like, oh, angels, oh, I see, I don't know if I'm, where I'm at with all this, angels stop talking, I get it, I get it. But there was two men, and they, they were angels that were there. Now, the tomb was open. Now, here's the deal about this. The, tomb, the angels didn't show up on the scene to let Jesus out. That's not the kind of Jesus that I put my faith in. If I believe that my Jesus died on a cross, went to the grave, went down to the pit of the earth and hell, delivered the captives free, was called up out of the grave, back into the tomb on the third day. I don't want to hear that he was knocking on the inside of the tomb going, all right, angels, it's time now, let me out. No, 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 no. Jesus was already gone. You know why the angels had the tomb open? So that you and I, so that those ladies can enter into it. That's why the tomb was open. If it was a fake, you know, fraud, folklore, made-up story, trying to cover up a conspiracy. You know, they would have construction tape all around the tomb. You know, don't get too close, but the body's gone. Don't peer too much into the tomb because the body's gone. No, 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 no. The angels opened up the tombstone entry so that these women and the other disciples and all of us as we read the story of the account of Jesus can enter in. Listen, if you have questions, God loves your questions. If you want to investigate, go ahead and investigate because anyone who is serious about investigating the veracity of the Son of God and the story of Jesus have only been proven that he was a real man who died on a real cross and who actually beat death. So you have your questions, bring them on. God's going, let's hear them. Let's hear them. If you have your uncertainties, God's like, come on in. Come on in and see that the tomb is empty. The angels opened up that tombstone for you to walk in and to peer in and to see that this grave is empty. He's not here anymore. Verse 5 says this. And as the women, there they are, they're women. They were there fixing the work of the men. They walk in, the 
stone has been moved. Peer in. As the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? They're like perplexed. The angels are perplexed at this. Here's why they're perplexed. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. He's not here. Like he was gone long, long time ago. On the third day, the power of God called him up out of the grave, and he's out of here. He's not in this tomb. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee? saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? Like they're going, <laughs> you, remember, you remember when you were in Galilee? You remember when you walked and, and hung out with Jesus for three and a half years? And remember how on occasion he would tell you that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, but on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And they're like, Oh, right. Oh, yeah, I guess he did say that. And then it says in verse 8, and they remembered his words. You know what got them to remember his words? You know what got people like Matthew, who's a tax collector, who left his profession and went to follow Jesus to remember his words? You know what got guys like Mark, who Mark was uh, close uh, with Peter, and Mark's account probably he got from Peter? You know how people like Luke, who were reading his account of the life of Jesus, who Luke was a doctor, Luke was a sci in the science, and Luke was the one who thoroughly investigated the, the life of Jesus. Luke went around and interviewed people that were there on the scene, people who saw him alive. Luke investigated. He did his legwork. He was a thorough historian, and every historian will look at Luke's writing and say there is a, he is a top-notch historian. You know why John, who was a, a disciple who was probably as close to Jesus as anyone, wrote the account of Jesus' life? You know what got them to remember his words? Without the resurrection, they wouldn't remember his words. What got them to remember his words was the fact that they saw him alive. If they never saw him alive, they never would have remembered his words. Do you know the fact that the Gospels, all four Gospels, when it, when it, when it gives an account of the, 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 what happened in the morning that Jesus rose from the grave, that all four Gospel accounts tell us that, that it was women that went to the tomb. All four of the Gospels tell us that, that it was women that went to the tomb. Did you know that in the first century, women's testimonies had zero credibility? Zero credibility. No offense to women. Your testimonies these days have all the credibility in the world. Listen, this is not my words. This is history talking here. When women gave an account of something, it, it, required, it required two women to one man. It needed, you needed to have two accounts or two witnesses of women to one man in the first century. All four gospel writers, when they wrote about the life of Jesus, when they remembered his words and wrote down as many details as they possibly could of the account of Jesus, it would have served them better. Now, this is, this is just rational thinking. It would have served them better not to include the women in the story. 
Because if, if, a, if anyone who was a skeptic at that time would have read that, you know, that women were in, 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 there at the account of the story, they would say, oh, no, no, not true, not true, not true. You know, women have no credibility. Women, their testimonies have no credibility. It won't, doesn't work. All four gospel writers wrote that women were the ones that went to the tomb first. Now, why did they write that women went to the tomb first? Because women went to the tomb first. <laughs> Boy, I just blew your mind there. They're just writing what they remember. It didn't matter if it was women or men. They were just writing, this is what happened. And it doesn't matter how women are viewed in the scripture. And it doesn't matter you know, how much credibility Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul... Peter, James, it doesn't matter how much credibility they have. This is what happened. And the reason why they wrote it and the reason why they remembered his words and the reason why we have the word of God and the words of Jesus in this book called the Bible where it gives us all the authority that we need to be the kind of Christian that God wants us to be, to be the kind of church that God wants us to be, to be the light of the world, to love people unconditionally, to forgive people, at, uh, you know, never ending. This is why we have this. It's because though of the resurrection of Jesus. Before they knew he beat death, the angels were going, you don't remember? He told you where were you on that morning you should have been you should have been out in front of the tomb going 10 9 8 7 like you should have been all there like everybody who Jesus impacted in their life everybody should have been at the tomb and the amount of people who were at the tomb were 16 you know why because there were 16 roman soldiers guarding the tomb it's just in case the disciples were going to get brave, which they weren't. They were hiding in foxholes somewhere. Just in case the disciples got brave so that they could steal the body, that there were 16 Roman soldiers there. But when the angels showed up, the 16 Roman soldiers got terrified. They ran back and they told Pilate and the leaders of, the, of Jews what happened. And they said this, just say that the disciples stole them. Here, we'll pay you off. reason why they remembered his words and what actually happened is because they saw him alive. Look at it says in verse 9. Verse 9. And returned from the tomb and reported all these, all the things that the eleven and to all the rest. And now they were, now we're getting their names, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also, the other woman with them were telling these things to the apostles. But look at, look at, their, look at they, look what they say. But these words appear to them as nonsense. What? What Mary, Joanna, Mary, and another Mary? There's a lot of Marys then. You're telling me that there was no body in the tomb? No body. Nobody expected no body. You're telling me that there was no body? This is nonsense. 
Even the people that followed Jesus for three and a half years thought, this is nonsense. And they would not believe him until they saw him alive. Verse 12 says this. But Peter got up, because that's what Peter would do. Peter got up and ran to the tomb and stooping and looking in. Why? Because the tomb was opened wide so that Jesus can be let out. No, 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 no. So that people can go in and see that it was empty. Peter got up, ran into the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, which in other accounts of the Bible tells us that he saw the wrapping, that he saw that not only the linen clothes were on the ground, but he saw that the shroud that covered the face of Jesus, that was wrapped in a corner all set to itself, which meant this to Peter. There was somebody in here, this somebody that rose from the grave, and somebody that set aside the shroud or the cloth that covered his face. He made it a point to say that there was a body in here, but there's no body anymore in here. And he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. He marveled at what happened. You know what he was doing? When Peter was going home, and I hope this is for you today. When Peter was going home, he was wondering if everything that he said about himself is true. And that changes everything. If, every, if, if what he said about God is true, then that changes everything. If everything that he said about us is true, then that will change everything. If, everything, if, 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 if what he, everything he said about forgiveness and death in the grave is true, then that changes everything. It changes everything. And what changes for us, mainly for us, is this. That there's a God who rose from the grave, who came and now lives inside of us. And the very fact that you and I put our faith in, in a Jesus who beat death means that you and I are going to beat death. That means that you and I have a hope outside of this life. If he truly did beat death, we can go home today and marvel at the fact that you and I get to go to a better place one day. That you and I get to leave this broken world that we live in and go and step into eternity where we'll be changed forever. Paul in 1 Corinthians, at the end, towards the end of the, this, this chapter in 1 Corinthians, says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 54. He says this, but when this perishable will have put on imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality. Now, no, no, no. Isn't this good news? Especially for those of us that are getting a little older. Aren't you glad that, man, like every single day, you know, like, oh, man, this body is failing me, this body. Like, has anybody ever gotten injured just sleeping? Like, I, I've, I've woken up in the morning, and I get out of bed, and I'm like, oh. What happened? It was like I was playing a basketball game during the night or something like that. Like, anybody ever feel that? Like, don't you, aren't you glad that because of the resurrection of Jesus, that our perishable will put on imperishable? That our mortal bodies that are falling apart are going to put on immortality? I mean, this is going to be great. I mean, you, listen, listen. I know I hear this all the time. I hear this all the time, at funerals especially. Oh, they've gone off to be an angel. 
You and I are going to be better than it. The angels wish they were us. The angels wish they were us. No, we're going to put on immortality. We're going to put on, you know, imperishable. That's what's happening to us. That's what's going on. Our broken bodies, the things that we're not proud of. Listen, you can do P90X. You can do, you know, any workout you want. Go on any diet you want. But the reality is that your body is going to betray you if it hasn't already. But the good news of the resurrection of Jesus and the good news of the fact that he rose from the grave is that we get to step into eternity and our perishable will put on imperishable and our mortal will put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now, here's a quote. Here's a quote from Isaiah that says this. Isaiah says this in verse 25. He says, he will swallow up death for all time. Isn't that good news? Death will be swallowed up for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. I mean, come on. I mean, how many times have we shed our tears in this life? How many times have we been in excruciating pain and agony of loss or, or the feeling of just living through this life and the brokenness of it? The grief that we have. You know when you step into eternity because of the resurrection of Jesus that all tears will be wiped from the faces of all the people. That God is going to wipe away your tears. There's no more tears in eternity. There's no more pain in eternity. And he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Come on. That's the hope that we have. In this life, James says, the brother of Jesus who wrote down after he saw Jesus alive, he says, hey, this life is like a vapor. It's here one minute and it's gone the next. We, meaning, man, we're in this life for now. This is where we get started. But we're going to one day step into eternity and we're going to see him face to face. And it's going to be a glorious time for all time. And the tears are going to be wiped away from all faces. And it will remove the reproach from all the earth. That's what's going to happen all of us the eternal perspective he says this and at the end of the uh, first corinthians 15 verse 57 it says this first corinthians 15 57 or 56 there you go for the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ that god says hey you know what i've done God said, I went down to the pit of hell and I took away from the enemy the keys of death and hell. That's what John writes, the apostle of Jesus, he writes that in Revelation 1.18. He tells us this in Revelation 1.18. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead man and places, he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. That's what the angel said to the women when they showed up to the tomb. Why are you seeking the living one among the dead? Jesus says, I am the living one. And I was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Boy, isn't that good news for us? That Jesus has the keys of death and of Hades. Man, he went down to the pit of earth. 
And he took from the enemy the keys. Now, I have my keys in my hand. I'm, you guys have a set of keys probably in your pocket or in your purse around you. Boy, these keys, if I lost these keys, I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble because these keys are the keys that start my car. These keys are the keys that get me into my house. And these keys are the keys that get me into my church. And if I don't have these keys, I'm in big trouble. I'm basically going to be sitting outside in the cold if I don't have these keys. Anybody lose keys before? Isn't that the worst feeling in the world when you lose keys boy without your keys you don't get a lot of access to a lot of places I'm telling you without your keys if I lost these keys I'm in big big trouble you know what the the devil's doing the devil's going where are my keys where are my keys where are my keys and Jesus is going I got your keys I got your keys and I'm running everything now everything is about death is is finished hell is finished and all you have to do is just come on and follow me Jesus said come on come on follow me follow me I got the keys I got the keys don't you want to follow the guy with the keys because he's the one that has the access to everything and Jesus says, I have the keys of death and hell and anybody who follows me will not die but will have everlasting life anybody who follows me will not go to a place called hell but will go to a place called heaven where there will be no more tears did I tell you that already that there's not going to be any more tears did I tell you that you're going to get a new body can anybody say I'm looking forward to that new body I'm looking forward to that new body I can't wait to get into eternity man you're going to see me coming up to you and I'm going to move the hair out of my eyes And I'm going to say, hello, brother. Hello, sister. Aren't you glad we followed the one who has the keys? He set us free. He set us free. Hey, do you know that he has the keys to the oppression in your marriage? He's got the keys to that. You want to be set free from the oppression of maybe a struggling marriage? He's got the keys for that. Hey, you know, he's got the keys to allowing your kids to grow up and to be the kind of God-fearing kids you want them to be and the kind of loving, compassionate kids you want them to be. He's got the keys to that. Hey, you know, he's got the keys to a life of fulfillment, a life of, of real purpose. He's got the keys to that. Follow him. Hey, you know what he's got? He's got the keys to what it looks like to be a church that thrives in a community that makes an impact for the kingdom of God where the city will have to be reckoned with because it just turns upside down for the gospel of Jesus. He's got the keys to that. Let's follow him in that. What do you say, church? Let's follow him in that. He's holding the keys to it. Come on. He's the living one. He's alive. He's the guy that I'm following. Step into the grave, it's open for you. And you'll see that he's not there. But he's going to call you to come and follow him. That's what he wants. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes now at this time, if you would, please. And I'd love to just give you an opportunity right now if you've never, if, if you've never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe somebody invited you here today to church. Man, you've never put your faith in Jesus, this is a great day to do that. This is what the foundation of our faith is all about. I would love to give you that chance to do that, and I'm not going to embarrass you. Nobody else is going to embarrass you. Nobody's going to come to you. Nobody's going to make you feel uncomfortable. All we want you to do is right where you're seated, 
city right now, right where you're at. We just want you to come to a place where you realize that, man, I need a Savior because of my sin. That I want to follow the God that has the keys. That He's the living one. And I want to be alive. He's the living one. And I want to follow Him and I want to be alive in my life. He's got the keys for that. He's got the keys. So if you've never put your faith in Jesus, you've never confessed with your mouth, believed in your heart that Jesus died for your sins, was truly buried and rose from the grave. Maybe a few things that I said here today, just some rational evidence of the fact that he's alive, that he truly did beat death. Maybe that is enough for you to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this out. I'm going to give this a, a chance. I'm going to let Jesus, you know, guide my life and lead my life. This is, a, this is your opportunity right now to do that, right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's not the prayer that saves, it's the belief of the heart. That's what saves. That's what saves. So when I lead you in this prayer, I want you to just pray with me. Not out, you don't have to pray out loud. You can if you want. But right where you're at, you can pray this prayer. And it goes like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you were buried. And I believe that you rose again. Thank you for your love for me. Thank you for your grace given to me. Come into my heart and be my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Have a, have a happy Easter.